Details about the devastating Gastown fire. I do not have any confirmation on whether the smoke alarms or the fire alarms were working. Why the building will likely be demolished, leaving many homeless. Bomb hoax backlash. I'm really scared and they moved to like the back of the class. An April Fool's prank that went way over the line at a Surrey high school. And why the iconic Kitts Beach pool might stay closed for the summer. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We are learning more tonight about the Gastown building destroyed by fire yesterday. It turns out it was the scene of another fire just days earlier. Dozens of residents and businesses have been impacted, and as Grace Key reports, damage is so expen- or extensive and expensive, the building is going to be torn down. The work begins in unraveling the cause of Monday morning's fire at Winters Hotel, a single-room occupancy building in Gastown. We now know a fire inspection in September was deemed satisfactory, but another fire was accidentally set just a few days earlier in a tenant's room. On Friday, we did respond, and you may have heard, we did respond to a fire in that building. That was a fire that was contained to the room of origin and a subsequent order uh, for compliance was issued at that point in time. According to Atira Property, who operates the SRO, the sprinklers did go off on Friday. Fire patrols continued through Monday while waiting for a technician to reset the fire system. Monday's devastating fire broke out at about 11 a.m. on the corner of Abbott and Water Streets, possibly on the second floor. Five people were taken to hospital. Three have been released. At Betty's Boutique at Maine and Cordova, there is assistance for tenants. 71 people have been displaced and another 73 at an SRO next door due to toxic smoke. In the short term, they've been housed in emergency shelter situations, and we're hoping that uh, we can start to move people into a more permanent basis within the next few days. Six businesses were destroyed in the blaze and another seven will be impacted because they're within the collapse zone. The nearby Hart gas town set to open on the 22nd has already had a setback after a break-in. I'm not sure if this is going to delay it as well because with all these gates we're actually cu- we're cut off to Gastown right now. Um, so a big hope for us was the cruise ships were going to come back. That was going to be a big thing. The Winters Hotel will have to be demolished. A timeline has not been set yet. Grace Key, Global News. Well, running a small business is tough enough. Now, a number of business operators on the downtown east side are facing an added challenge. Canada Post has stopped delivering mail along two blocks of East Hastings. The corporation citing safety concerns raised by its workers. But as Romina Dayer reports, that means those letters and packages have to be picked up at a depot 15 blocks away. Canada Post's slogan, giving back to our communities. Unless you live on Bianca Bar's block. Unfair and kind of crazy and kind of, yeah, like, can they even do that? Stop our mail? Is it because I thought it was an essential service? No mail for three weeks for two blocks on the downtown east side. Blocks zero and a hundred on East Hastings Street. The reason, health and safety concerns expressed by employees, says Canada Post. Workers 
about drug use and verbal assaults. You have to pay your bills. You have to get these services that are available to everybody. That to take more away that everybody else is getting seems so unfair. Tannis Kerstuck, who runs a nonprofit, says Canada Post's alternative is unreasonable. The closest pickup point, 15 blocks away, at the mail facility near Commercial Drive. It's like a 20-minute, 30-minute walk from this location. In the most impossible hours, I think it was like 10 to 2, Monday to Friday. I can't make it down there. I'm working here. Like, to not have weekend availability, anything like that is just so frustrating. DHL, FedEx, and Amazon still delivering here. Barr disappointed with Canada Post's response. They haven't offered any solution right now. They said they're discussing it and trying to come up with a solution, um, but we haven't heard anything back yet. The Crown Corporation tells us it's working on resolving the issue while ensuring the well-being of its employees. Romina Dea, Global News. A stark warning for sex trade workers in the Okanagan to stay away from a rural area north of Vernon. The alert's been prompted by 41-year-old Curtis Sagmoen, who lives along Salmon River Road. He is not allowed to have any contact with sex trade workers as part of his probation conditions. Sagmoen has previously been found guilty of offenses against sex trade workers. The warning's been issued by both police and an organization that supports women in sex work. Uh, we're issuing a warning uh, specifically messaging and addressing uh, any persons involved in sex work uh, or companion services or escort services uh, to refrain from providing any services in the Salmon River Road area. We are, as we speak, sending that alert out to over 200 agencies in the Okanagan and across BC. The body of 18-year-old Tracy Jenneru was found on Sagmoen's property in 2017, but so far no charges have been laid in her death. The B.C. Coroner Service says 174 British Columbians lost their lives to a toxic drug overdose in the month of February. That means, on average, six people died every day. The coroner says, tragically, six of the victims were under the age of 19. February was the 17th straight month where more than 150 people died due to toxic drugs. The coroner service is reiterating calls for the provincial and federal governments to speed up access to a safer supply of drugs. An April Fool's Day prank that left students terrified and traumatized is under investigation by the Surrey School District. It happened at Johnston Heights Secondary School when a grade 8 math class was targeted by another class. Krista Dow tells us there are many outstanding questions about why this happened and who orchestrated it. It was an April Fool's Day prank that missed the mark big time. Students here at Johnson Heights Secondary School are telling us it happened during an 8th grade math class. Students claim the prank was teacher approved and say a student threw a duffel bag into class with a ticking noise and everyone immediately ran to the back. Here's how some of the students in that class described what happened. The bomb ticking noise, it was really loud and they put like a cardboard thing against like the little slit in the window. <laughs> and like they were like shaking stuff and like, yeah, it was very real. Yeah. I was really scared. I thought it was really real and I was like scared for my life. These teens believe the prank went too far. I don't think schools should be allowed to do that. The fact that she was okay with that 
It's kind of messed up. I wouldn't ever imagine someone choosing to do a bomb prank. Yeah. Because I think that's just a bit too extreme for grade eights. Well, I don't know why she would be okay with her class going through that because like a bomb prank, that, that's a little too far. In response, the Surrey School District says it is looking into the incident and is investigating. The Ministry of Education says it's aware of this disturbing incident and school leadership staff are speaking with students about what happened and ensuring mental health and wellness support is being made available. Krista Dow, Global News. Canada's top doctor is confirming our country is indeed in the sixth wave of COVID-19. Keith Baldry joins us live in Victoria with more. We've been talking about the sixth wave for a while, Keith. What did we hear from Dr. Theresa Tam today? Yeah, Dr. Tam looks at a number of indicators to determine whether we're in a new wave. The sixth wave is probably going to look different than previous waves. That's been the pattern as well. Uh, Omicron looked better, different than Delta. Delta looked different than Alpha. So now we're at the BA2 variant, and we're seeing indicators going up. Ontario reporting the highest number of hospitalizations associated with COVID-19 in two months. Uh, wastewater uh, uh, test positives are coming back at uh, rising numbers as well. Northeastern United States reporting a surge in hospitalizations and, and cases as well. Dr. Tam today at the weekly news conference saying the indicators are there to say we're in a sixth wave. Multiple indicators from average daily case counts to lab test positivity and wastewater signals indicate increasing transmission in recent weeks. Unfortunately, we're now beginning to see rising severity trends as well. All right, Keith, Dr. Tam also says vaccines are still the best defense against the virus. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're looking at now some people getting their fourth doses and some people who are still waiting to get or haven't signed up for their third doses. Yeah, so I just got an update today for the first time on where we are with fourth doses. I'll get to those in a moment. But before you get a fourth dose, and those are people over the age of 70 and those who are clinically vulnerable, you need a third dose. So take the third dose take-up levels. Not very high vaccination rates here. People over the age of 70, 81%. That's not bad. But then the number starts declining as people get younger, over 50, 73%, over age 30, 64%. Of course, younger people didn't have early access to the third dose because you have to wait six months from your second dose. we're getting the third dose up bit by bit, but we're just at the beginning of the fourth dose rollout. And again, at the very start of people over the age of 70 and those who are clinically vulnerable, we started at the beginning of this month, and you're going to see in this chart how it ramps up through the next few months. And this does not include people in long-term care or uh, people who are clinically vulnerable. So in April, about 30,000 invitations will go out by the end of the month. But then it really starts to climb in May, 222,000. In June, 210,000. And in July, 67,000. So expectation, 82% of the people eligible should get their invitations by June 26 to go in and get your fourth dose. Now, NACI, the National Advisory Committee on Immunizations, continues to study uh, the feasibility or the effectiveness of getting the fourth dose to people under the age of 70 or 60. We expect an announcement on that in the coming days. Today, they did announce they now uh, recommend, rather than just suggest, that governments get everyone over the 18, over the age of 18, to get their third dose. So we may see the third dose numbers start to climb as well. All right, hopefully we do. Thank you for that, Keith. Labor trouble could be a big issue for the NDP government. The contracts for some of BC's largest unions have expired, and it's sure to be tough bargaining ahead with demands for inflation and cost of living increases. As Richard Zussman reports, one union is planning a strike vote. Preparing to strike. 
we are in preparation for taking a strike vote for 33,000 members of the public service. After weeks of failed negotiations, the B.C. General Employees Union now in the position to educate those workers from government ministerial staff to B.C. liquor store workers around strike options. This comes as the union and the province are still way apart. The province has put forward a three-year deal, including almost 6% of increases over the contract. The union is asking for a two-year deal, each year with a raise of 5% or the price of inflation, whichever is higher. Our goal isn't to go on strike. Our goal is to um, show the government um, that our members are expecting cost of living adjustments, wage protections that they themselves are afforded as members of the Legislative Assembly. And the openings make sense. Thank you. Good luck. Thank you. A strike vote doesn't necessarily mean a strike. Instead, it could start with something like an overtime ban. But it does set a course that could impact other unions, like the Hospital Employees Union that has had a deal expire April 1st. For us in public health care, when we bargain for our members, we're also bargaining for a better health care system for all of us. Nurses are currently working at hospitals and across the province on an expired deal as well. They are set to start negotiating in October and are asking for these three things. What we will be asking for that our members deserve is respect for nurses, fair wages, safe staffing levels. If the unions with expired deals all agree to 2% increases, that would cost the province $1.87 billion over two years. If there's a 5% increase across the board, that's $4.65 billion. And if there was an 8.5% increase, the current rate of inflation in the United States, it would be a $7.93 billion increase. The nurses not ruling out a strike themselves while also factoring in essential services. The cost of living allowance, I believe, is something that uh, everybody will be asking for. Adding to all of this, the strain of a COVID-19 pandemic that disproportionately impacted many of these workers. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, the South Coast saw a bit of everything today in the weather. There was snow, hail, thunderstorms, and even a tiny bit of blue sky. For more details, let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon. Christy. What a day, really, Sophie. Uh, you know, this type of system that we saw today is what we call an inside slider. It's more typical of the winter months. And if we, it was January right now with temperatures colder, uh, some areas across the south coast would have seen 20 centimeters plus of snow. But it is April, and we do sometimes get snowfall in April, but not very often, especially sort of middle part of April. Here's a look at some of the hardest hit areas. Really, the Courtney Comox area won today with four centimeters of snow. The Campbell River area saw about two centimeters of snow. Huge flakes fall fell in areas like Victoria, especially earlier in the day. Not a lot accumulated on the ground, but there was even a couple of centimeters of snow in through the North Vancouver area. Now, Sophie, as you mentioned, it wasn't just snow. We had a bit of everything today. We still have more snow in the forecast, though. So when I come back, I'll show you which areas still could be impacted. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Christy. Terror on the morning commute in New York City. The search for a gunman who opened fire on the crowded subway and how it could have been an even greater tragedy. That's next on the News Hour. Summer camp in serious trouble. Why Zajac Ranch and the thousands of kids who enjoy it might be out of luck this season. That's coming up on the News Hour.
and tunnel vision, the new tech to keep you entertained while you ride the SkyTrain later. Right now, though, a search is underway in New York City for the person who set off a smoke bomb and opened fire inside a subway car. That's right. It happened in Brooklyn during the morning rush hour, and at least 10 people were hurt. For the very latest on the incident and the search for a suspect, we'll bring in NBC's Chris Pallone, who's in Brooklyn for us this evening. Chris. Yeah, hi there, Chris and Sophie. And just within the last couple of hours, the NYPD has said that they are looking for a person of interest tonight. It's a 62-year-old man named Frank James. They are stopping short of calling him a suspect or even accusing him of carrying out this attack. But earlier tonight, police discovered some keys to a U-Haul van inside the crime scene that they're going through now, this subway station here in Brooklyn. They say those keys, that rental vehicle, was rented by a Frank James. Witness videos captured the terrifying scene as a New York City subway pulled into the 36th Street station in Brooklyn. One car appeared to be filled with smoke. It billowed out the windows and doors as confused and panicked passengers rushed out. The injured collapsing to the platform floor. A conductor across the way heard instructing people to get on his waiting train to get to safety. It happened just before 8.30 in the morning. Police say a gunman set off a smoke bomb in that northbound end train before pulling out a gun and opening fire. At least 10 people were shot. Five are in critical condition, but they are considered stable. Several others were injured in the chaos. A police dragnet now underway searching for the gunman. The suspect is a dark-skinned male and was wearing a neon orange vest and a gray colored sweatshirt. Police say the suspect left a gun and a bag filled with smoke canisters and fireworks at the scene, and investigators located a U-Haul van believed to be connected to the shootings, the keys to the van found near the scene. The male who we believe is the renter of this U-Haul in Philadelphia is a Frank R. James, male 62 years old with addresses in Wisconsin and Philadelphia. We are endeavoring to locate him to determine his connection to the subway shooting, if any. Police are pouring through surveillance video to try to figure out where he went. Yeah, any luck on that front, Chris? What are police doing to find this person of interest? Well, not at this point, as far as we know, but we do know that police have been combing through all the surveillance video here in the area and also following up on that U-Haul rental. That's going to give them some indication of, you know, where he was at certain times, what cards he used, information to help them track him down. Also going through his social media, there's been reporting on a couple of YouTube videos that he is believed to have posted online. And so all of that is being examined as police continue going through this subway station to see if there's anything they missed tonight. Chris Pallone in New York. Thanks very much, Chris. Well, sifting through evidence of war crimes is an arduous task throughout Ukraine. The safety of the investigators is tenuous, with some cities nearly impossible to enter. Making matters worse, new comments from Russia's president, who's made it clear the Kremlin has no intention of backing down. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. After seven weeks, Mariupol has been reduced to smoldering rubble. Russian occupation to date has been brutal deadly, and by assumption, 
horrifying. Ukraine's president says a Russian spokesperson claims chemical weapons are in its arsenal, a controversial and far-right-leaning branch of Ukraine's National Defense Agency alleges poison has already been unleashed, injuring some soldiers. That's an unverified claim, but one the West has been fearful of. The Russians have certainly proven more than willing to use uh, uh, chemical weapons when it suited them in the past. Confirming such claims is seemingly impossible. Entering and leaving besieged cities is at the grace of Russian soldiers, complicating the task of discovery and response. Use of chemical weapons is abhorrent. It does cross a line and all options are on the table for how we would respond. And while alleged atrocities raise concerns in the East, evidence gathering is underway elsewhere. That's why very important that investigators, experts from other jurisdictions can possibilities to come to Ukraine. France has sent teams into Bucha, where mass graves pockmark the landscape. A slaughter condemned worldwide, yet disregarded, even rebuked by Russia's president. Vladimir Putin doubling down next to the Belarusian puppet president, calling the Bucha massacre fake. At the same time, arguing his military's actions are noble and won't end until Moscow succeeds. The U.S. assesses Russia has 80 percent of its combat power still available, while the Kremlin claims peace talks are at a dead end both harrowing acknowledgments that could prove deadly in the weeks to come. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. A flare for the dramatic in Canadian aviation, the ultra-low-cost airline that isn't as Canadian as it could be and why that might or why they might pay for it later. Also tonight, family doctors just as frustrated as you that you can't find one. Traffic's moving pretty well both ways on the Patello Bridge. The problem is Highway 17 between it and the Portman Bridge. Construction has traffic down to a single lane both ways. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $50 million plus an estimated two max millions. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. One of Canada's few low-cost carriers could soon be grounded. Global's Kayla McLean tells us why and what it means for passengers who already booked a ticket on a Flair Airlines flight. With travel restrictions loosened, COVID-weary Canadians are taking to the skies, eager to escape. But one popular discount airline could leave passengers stranded this summer. Flair Air, known for its low-cost, no-frill fares, could lose its license on May 3rd to fly in Canada. According to a preliminary review from Canada's transportation watchdog, Flair, which is based in Edmonton, may be in violation of a law that requires all Canadian-operated airlines to be controlled by mostly Canadians. The watchdog says much of Flair's operations are controlled by a U.S.-based partner. Flair's president says customers have nothing to worry about. We're here for the long term. We are going to be changing the way that Canadians think about travel and and making it affordable for everyone. So absolutely, they can book with confidence. But with very few low-cost carriers in Canada, Air Canada and WestJet dominating the country's domestic market, passenger rights advocate Gabor Lukash says Flair's demise will hit consumers hard. When you have only two airlines competing, you have a highly concentrated market, it's a duopoly, and that means that the prices are higher, it means the consumers are losing. 
For travelers who have tickets booked beyond May 3rd, travel expert Jen Weatherhead recommends getting travel insurance. You want to make sure that you have insurance and that you're going to be covered if a situation like this happens. It can be really tricky and really time-consuming to get your money back. In the meantime, Flair, who says it is Canadian, is asking for more time, an 18-month exemption to meet the regulations. Lukash hopes for more. During those 18 months, I would want to see the focus being on protecting the consumer, ensuring that if you buy a ticket, no matter what Flair does or happens with Flair, you will have a ticket on the same day, maybe on a competitor airline, have a, maybe an insurance scheme, something that Flair is essentially paying for. Ensuring that Flair passengers aren't left up in the air. Kayla McLean, Global News. TransLink is unveiling new technology that will give SkyTrain passengers something to look at other than their phones while they're traveling through the Dunsmuir Tunnel. Video ads and transit information will be displayed through the train windows. The program is being launched on the Expo line and will be rolled out in other locations in the coming months. Right now you can see the videos while traveling east from Waterfront to Burrard Station. The technology has been in use elsewhere in the world, including South America, Asia, and Europe. Uh, we are now the first transit system in North America to have full motion, dynamic video displayed on transit. TELUS is the sponsor for the first year, and that revenue will go toward transit services. Just ahead, the scramble to find workers. This year in particular has been a challenge for us. Why Zajac Ranch and the children it supports are hanging out the help wanted sign. And all the wild weather that hit the south coast coming up. Good evening. Two lanes north and one south over here at the Lionsgate Bridge. Just some minor delays for southbound traffic on the Cloverleaf from north and west Vancouver. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. It's a safe haven for more than a thousand kids every summer, but the Zajac Ranch for Children in Mission is in danger of keeping the gates closed this year. The camp is having trouble filling key positions, and as Kamal Kuramali reports, families hope staffing comes together before it's too late. The grind is on, the push to polish up before the big opening for this summer camp. The Zajac Ranch for Children, getting back into gear for the first time this year since COVID shut its cabin doors. There's just one problem. The challenge that we're having right now is finding some leadership. A major staff shortage of some of the camp's major roles, nothing like they've seen before. No, nothing like this, nothing like this, um, which is quite frustrating. I'm glad you're having fun. The summer camp for children with medical conditions and disabilities, providing amenities for all kinds of needs, but it also needs a lot of support in return. These kids need some special attention and some special care, and so we're careful to make sure that we hire the right people. Welcome to Zajac Ranch for Children. It's still got 10 roles to fill, including the biggest one. Camp director. Why? Well, there's so few of them. Most camps are back east. So that's a problem. There's not many camps here, so you can't choose from here. It's not a unique challenge. A survey conducted in November by the Canadian Federation of Independent Business found 
59% of BC businesses were suffering from labor shortages. People uh, have sort of gone their own way during the pandemic and it's tough to get people back. Another year of the summer camp's closure heartbreaking for the Langto family and their son Jordan. A lot of these kids, they're, they're, they've been dealt a tough hand. You know what I mean? And, uh, and for them to go and, and live and have fun and laugh, you know, it's, uh, it's an incredible, incredible experience. There's still hope more people will apply. We are cutting it close, yes. But time is running out with doors set to open end of June. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Staying with your fellow well, finding a family doctor in B.C. can be challenging. Nearly one million people in the province don't have their own GP. And even those who do are worried they might lose their physician. Those are some of the findings of a new poll by the B.C. College of Family Physicians. Kylie Stanton has more. Putting signs up to get the message out that everyone deserves a family doctor. But in British Columbia... It's far from reality. I was one of the many that received notification in January that my family physician was leaving practice and that there was nobody to take over and that we would therefore become part of the unattached. I'm going to look into your left eye now. According to a poll commissioned by the BC College of Family Physicians, 40% of British Columbians who have a family doctor are worried they will lose them to practice closure or retirement. In my work, I see that all the time. I see people's anxiety Having a family doctor is like having a security blanket or a life jacket. It just makes you feel like there's someone you can go to who knows your story. But then there are the nearly one million British Columbians without a family physician. About 660,000, or two-thirds of them, say they simply can't find one. While 19% say their former doctor has closed their practice. That's up 100% from 2019. Now, 10 years ago, if you tried long enough and hard enough, you would find someone. And now there's just no one. I mean, young doctors look at the complexity of care or running your office, the cost of overhead, the very slowly moving needle of what a family physician has paid over the last two decades and just think they can't do it. The situation is particularly bad in the South Island, where four walk-in clinics have closed their doors so far this year. On Friday, the BC government stepped in. We're providing $3.46 million in stabilization funding through December 31st of this year for five walk-in clinics in the region. Feel around the head for lymph nodes. Part of the funding will go towards hiring 10 full-time physicians, what's being called a short-term solution, while urgent primary care centres get up and running to help fill the void. While the hopes are great and the intentions are trying to land with people that need urgent care, we need to get people back into the communities. That leaves Curry and so many others feeling the pressure, desperate for something to change. This is not universal care at its best. This is no care and sometimes even bad care, and that's not acceptable. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Coming up, Kitts Beach Pool, too battered to open. Such as these that have appeared in the pool deck floor. The damage that might keep it closed through the summer. Also tonight, the Ethiopian coffee shop owner creating quite a buzz in Surrey. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Everybody seemed bundled up a little bit today, including you. <laughs> I was a, it was a double sweater day. Double sweater day. Yeah. And uh, Gordo brought out the <laughs> winter jacket, the puffy winter jacket, which is very appropriate. Christy? <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I saw lots of puffy jackets around North Vancouver. Yeah, absolutely needed today, that's for sure. Uh, you know, the sun has come out a little bit here. It's starting to warm up. I probably don't need the jacket right now, but we certainly did earlier today. Snowfall warnings were in place, and we certainly saw it. Here's a quick look at some of the storms across the region. So this one from Aaron in Tawasson, looking at how dark and uh, massive these clouds in. So embedded in these were thunderstorms. We had downpours of hail, as well as uh, gusty winds. And of course, as we well know, the, the snowfall as well. And it's really just this a rotating mass of instability, very cool, unsettled weather that brings these pop-up uh, thunderstorms and downpours of uh, precipitation. You can see the lightning strikes there. And I love this shot from Kelly. Thanks so much. Yeah, so much for spring. It was tough for all the new uh, flowers to handle that. Uh, as temperatures, we're talking about 7 to 8 degrees where our daytime highs. That is uh, 6 to 7 to eight degrees below seasonal for this time of year. So really chilly. Now, as I mentioned, there still is a possibility of a few isolated flurries across Vancouver Island tonight. And again, tomorrow afternoon, we're mainly talking about inland regions along the spine. So uh, Port Alberni potentially, and then Comox and up towards Campbell River as well. So it's those areas that we're mainly watching again tonight and again tomorrow and potentially even into Thursday morning. So this swirl of instability still just sitting off the coast and will continue to impact Vancouver Island. For Metro Vancouver, we're really just talking about a chance of showers. More sunshine in the mix tomorrow, but still unsettled weather. Bring your rain jacket just in case. You may not need the double sweater, Sophie, but definitely the rain jacket as an extra added protection layer. And you can see that instability sticking with us for the next two days, but a little bit more sunshine in the mix as well. All right, tonight's center windows weather window comes to us from Burnaby. I chose this one because this really depicts uh, what we contended with today. So thank you so much to Lorna C for that one. Easter bunnies instead of, you could, probably could have built a snowman with all the hail today too. <laughs> a snow bunny. <laughs> a snow bunny. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Christy. Well, it's one of the best features in Kitts Beach Park, but the neighborhood's world-renowned outdoor pool may not get a chance to shine this summer. The Vancouver Park Board says it's likely the pool will have to remain closed because of the damage sustained in January's King Tide. will take just too long to fix before the weather warms up. Catherine Urquhart reports. Just a few years ago, Kitt's Pool was named one of the world's best outdoor swimming pools by CNN. Spanning 137 meters, it's the longest saltwater swimming pool in North America and boasts spectacular views. But this summer, it may not even open. On January 7th, Vancouver's coastline was slammed by a king tide, while at the same time, strong winds caused a huge storm surge. The pool and deck were flooded, resulting in massive damage. We observed during the pool inspection a crack such as these that have appeared in the pool deck floor and other areas where pool deck panels have lifted. Repair work is underway, but it will take many months before swimmers can be back in the water. So really we need to um, address the seawall first. We also need to get um, some um, geotechnical experts on site with ground penetrating radar to see if there's any voiding under the pool tank. The storm also severely damaged Spanish Banks, Jericho Pier and the seawall north of Third Beach. Estimated repair costs for the seawall about 1.5 million, Jericho Pier 20 million. A price to fix Kitt's pool is still undetermined. 
Vancouver's Park Board says it's now planning how to best deal with future storms due to climate change. We are in the process of doing some planning work, both for the West End waterfront, but also for the Kitts um, Park area. And uh, that is exactly top of mind for the work that we're doing. The Vancouver Park Board hopes to complete damage assessment of Kitts Pool in the next few months, at which time they'll have a better sense of the repairs needed and when it may reopen. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Such a great spot. Yeah, big loss for now. We'll keep you updated on that story. All right, Squire is here now with a look ahead to sports. What's going on, Squire? Well, the uh, Canucks are going to play Vegas tonight at Rogers Arena. Both of these teams are not in a playoff position. They're both chasing, so that should make this game quite good. Uh, They're they're saying it's a must-win for them. We're saying it's a must-win for us. The Canucks have taken three out of a possible four points in their last two meetings with the Knights, but Vegas does have some of their stars back in the lineup this evening. Also tonight, the Surrey Shop, brewing a sense of community along with coffee. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Everybody seemed bundled up a little bit today, including you. <laughs> I was a, it was a double sweater day. Double sweater day. Yeah. And uh, Gordo brought out the <laughs> winter jacket, the puffy winter jacket, which is very appropriate. Christy? <laughs> mm-hmm. I saw lots of puffy jackets around North Vancouver. Yeah, I absolutely needed today, that's for sure. Uh, you know, the sun has come out a little bit here. It's starting to warm up. I probably don't need the jacket right now, but we certainly did earlier today. Snowfall warnings were in place, and we certainly saw it. Here's a quick look at some of the storms across the region. So this one from Aaron in Tawasson, looking at how dark and uh, massive these clouds in. So embedded in these were thunderstorms. We had downpours of hail, as well as uh, gusty wind. And of course, as we well know, the the snowfall as well. And it's really just this rotating mass of instability, very cool, unsettled weather that brings these pop-up thunderstorms and downpours of uh, precipitation. You can see the lightning strikes there. And I love this shot from Kelly. Thanks so much. Yeah, so much for spring. It was tough for all the new uh, flowers to handle that. Uh, As temperatures, we're talking about 7 to 8 degrees where our daytime highs. That is uh, 6 to 7 to eight degrees below seasonal for this time of year so really chilly now as i mentioned there still is a possibility of a few isolated flurries across vancouver island tonight and again tomorrow afternoon we're mainly talking about inland regions along the spine so uh, port alberni potentially and then comox and up towards campbell river as well so it's those areas that we're mainly watching again tonight and again tomorrow and potentially even into thursday morning so this swirl of instability still just sitting off the coast and will continue to impact Vancouver Island. For Metro Vancouver, we're really just talking about a chance of showers. More sunshine in the mix tomorrow, but still unsettled weather. Bring your rain jacket just in case. You may not need the double sweater, Sophie, but definitely the rain jacket as an extra added protection layer. And you can see that instability sticking with us for the next two days, but a little bit more sunshine in the mix as well. All right, tonight's center windows weather window comes to us from Burnaby. I chose this one because this really depicts uh, what we contended with today. So thank you so much to Lorna C for that one. Easter bunnies instead of you could probably could have built a snowman with all the hail today too. <laughs> a snow bunny. <laughs> a snow bunny. Mm-hmm. Thanks Christy. Well it's one of the best features in Kitts Beach Park but the neighborhood's 
World-renowned outdoor pool may not get a chance to shine this summer. The Vancouver Park Board says it's likely the pool will have to remain closed because of the damage sustained in January's King Tide. will take just too long to fix before the weather warms up. Catherine Urquhart reports. Just a few years ago, Kitt's Pool was named one of the world's best outdoor swimming pools by CNN. Spanning 137 meters, it's the longest saltwater swimming pool in North America and boasts spectacular views. But this summer, it may not even open. On January 7th, Vancouver's coastline was slammed by a king tide, while at the same time, strong winds caused a huge storm surge. The pool and deck were flooded, resulting in massive damage. We observed during the pool inspection a crack such as these that have appeared in the pool deck floor and other areas where pool deck panels have lifted. Repair work is underway, but it will take many months before swimmers can be back in the water. So really we need to um, address the seawall first. We also need to get um, some um, geotechnical experts on site with ground penetrating radar to see if there's any voiding under the pool tank. The storm also severely damaged Spanish Banks, Jericho Pier and the seawall north of Third Beach. Estimated repair costs for the seawall about 1.5 million. Jericho Pier, 20 million. A price to fix Kitt's pool is still undetermined. Vancouver's Park Board says it's now planning how to best deal with future storms due to climate change. We are in the process of doing some planning work, both for the West End waterfront, but also for the Kitts um, Park area. And uh, that is exactly top of mind for the work that we're doing. The Vancouver Park Board hopes to complete damage assessment of Kitts Pool in the next few months, at which time they'll have a better sense of the repairs needed and when it may reopen. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Such big a great loss. spot. Yeah, big loss for now. We'll keep you updated on that story. All right, Squire is here now with a look ahead to sports. What's going on, Squire? Well, the uh, Canucks are going to play Vegas tonight at Rogers Arena. Both of these teams are not in a playoff position. They're both chasing, so that should make this game quite good. Uh, they, they're, they're saying it's a must-win for them. We're saying it's a must-win for us. The Canucks have taken three out of a possible four points in their last two meetings with the Knights, but Vegas does have some of their stars back in the lineup this evening. Also tonight, the Surrey Shop brewing a sense of community along with coffee. Well, you'd think it's going to have a playoff feel tonight if both teams feel like it's a must win. Oh, it's a playoff game. Before the playoffs. Yeah. It's the playoffs before the playoffs. The pre-playoffs. They are the pre-playoffs, exactly. The uh, Vancouver Canucks need to have a golden night at Rogers Arena. They need to beat Vegas in regulation, not give the Golden Knights a consolation or, um, well, consolation overtime or shootout point. They need Dallas and Los Angeles to lose their games tonight as well. That would be a perfect world. The absolute opposite would be a tragedy. It would push the Canucks further away from the playoffs. Vancouver beat Vegas last week, but the Knights now have some of their better players back in the lineup from injuries. And Jay is at Rogers Arena, and he will fill us in on what's happening. 
Vancouver Canucks looking to make it four straight victories. Tonight, they host the Vegas Golden Knights, and right now, both teams are on the outside looking in when it comes down to the final wildcard playoff spot in the Western Conference. The Canucks remain six points back of the Dallas Stars. Vegas is just two points back, and both teams have nine games left to play in the regular season. We've been in a must-win for a, a long time, but I mean, every time there's a must-win and you don't succeed, you always think, okay, there's still a way, right? I mean, um, but I would say it's a very important game. You know, a team ahead of us in the standings in our division, uh, a team you have to, you know, you have to leapfrog if you want to get into the playoffs. So uh, I would say for both teams, if, if uh, these guys want to catch L.A. with their schedule remaining you know i mean uh, uh they they're, they're saying it's a must win for them we're saying it's a must win for us yesterday bo horvac talked about every game from here on out feeling like a game seven except for the vancouver canucks and the vegas gold knights these games are going to be played without key players brock besser and tanner pearson both will not play this week both are dealing with upper body injuries now for vegas max Pacioretty returned to the lineup for them they're still missing though their captain mark stone he hasn't played since early february and fitting him into the lineup is a tough one for vegas because they have no cap room he's going to be a game time decision for vegas but surprisingly they've won seven of their last ten well every one of these guys that has come back into the lineup makes a difference you saw Pacioretty changes our team Martinez and McNabb coming back last week change our team Robin Leonard changes our team so you know obviously Mark Stone is uh, our captain and uh, you know he's been the leader here since since I got here uh, so you know it, it's important and uh, you can't understate his importance to our group as we all know, there is no room left for error for the Vancouver Canucks. Six-game homestand right now. They pretty much have to run the table. We'll see what they do tonight against Vegas. Then it's the Arizona Coyotes here on Thursday before the Canucks conclude their six-game homestands with back-to-backs against Dallas and Ottawa come Monday and Tuesday. From Rogers Arena with your ringside report, Jay Janower, Global Sports. Well, it's a rare happening when Canuck fans are Blackhawk fans, at least for one night. They'd like to see Chicago beat L.A. because L.A.'s within range, too, of both the Canucks and Vegas for a third place in the Pacific Division. Boy, that is some bad defensive coverage by the Blackhawks. Trevor Moore gets a goal for L.A. in the first period to make it one nothing. Then a bit of a, a lucky bounce here for Philip Deneau. And it's 2-0 in the second period. The Kings did blow a 3-0 lead against Minnesota the other day, but Chicago is not Minnesota. And because winter is making another trip to Manitoba, the uh, Jets game against Seattle tomorrow has been moved to May 1st. The NHL didn't want to chance it with hazardous winter conditions being predicted. They also are worried that after the game, if it's very bad weather, the two teams might not be able to leave Winnipeg to play games in other cities. Quarterfinal action, Champions League. This is uh, Chelsea, Real Madrid. Chelsea needed a comeback. They lost the first leg 3-1. Timo Werner scoring here. Now Chelsea's up 4-3 in aggregate. But look at that pass by Luka Modric, whom Canada will play when they face Croatia in the um, World Cup. Rodrigo, the goal there to tie it 4-4 in aggregate. Extra time. The man who's basically single-handedly beaten Chelsea in this two-game tie. It's Karim Benzema and Real Madrid wins it 5-4 in aggregate. The big upset... Villarreal against Byron Munich. Villarreal would allow this goal by Robert Lewandowski, which ties it 1-1 on aggregate. Alfonso Davies didn't start this game. He gets in late, 
And then he has to watch the winning goal go right by his feet. Samu Chukweza will score it, but look here, right by. Davies, the perfect pass and a huge upset as Bayern Munich is out and they lose it on their home grounds. As you can see in the fans of their faces, there is heartbreak. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Thanks very much, Squire. Up next, Surrey's finest cup of coffee, connecting cultures from across the world. Jordan Armstrong is standing by with some breaking news and a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan. Sophie, first to that breaking news, a tree has come down on a vehicle in South Vancouver. It happened just a short time ago at Marine Way and River District Crossing. This is an image from one of the city's traffic cameras. As you can see, a tent is now up beside the crushed vehicle. BC Ambulance says no one was taken to hospital but firefighters have yet to confirm it was indeed a fatal collision. We'll keep you posted. Plus, debate at Vancouver Council over restoring millions of dollars to the police budget ordered by the province. These stories and more tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Jordan. All right, a man from Ethiopia uh, and came here. He opened a coffee shop and is sharing his passion for the bean. His love of coffee transcends the beverage into a cultural experience. And as Jay Durant tells us on This Is BC, he has gathered many fans. Thank you so much. Amongst the endless sea of big brand coffee companies is a small shop in Surrey called Finest Cup. And the owner would love to tell you all about his passion for the bean. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where to start. <laughs> Terecha Balacho is from Ethiopia, where they take pride for being known as the birthplace of coffee. I've seen coffee as more than just a drink. It's, uh, it, is, it is part of our culture. He's been back home many times to meet producers, and he wants to share the stories of the people who work so hard behind the scenes. Thousands and thousands of laborers would sit and sort through all of the beans. <laughs> His customers are learning all about Ethiopia's coffee industry and the social coffee ceremonies that can take up a good part of the day. Everybody gets their cup, and then when you're done with that, and then there's another round, and then sometimes a third round. Derecha had his first cup when he was just seven years old, even though his dad didn't think it was a good idea. He said, uh, you shouldn't be drinking coffee, you know, you're too young. But I remember that taste and the smell of the cafes. One day he plans on making a documentary to further enhance that connection between the producers and his customers, some who have become more than just regulars. His wife is here, his two sisters come in, and you feel like you know everybody. It's like a little family in here, and uh, Desiree is such, such a friendly person. And he's so proud to be sharing these stories from his home country. If they only knew the one about the underdog in Surrey who's taking on the Java Giants. I think I finally found my calling uh, and I, I truly care about it. So, we'll see you. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Got to swing by there for a cup one of these days. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, you could have used maybe some hot chocolate out there on the, uh, on the patio today, Christy, uh, and more mm -hmm. maybe cooler weather on the way. 
Yeah, so it is going to warm up a touch tomorrow, but we're still going to be below seasonal for this time of year over the next several days. Tomorrow, though, you can look forward to more sunshine than what you saw today. There still is a chance of showers. Don't leave home without your rain jacket. And if you're across Vancouver Island, along the spine of it, sort of Port Alberni and out towards uh, Comox and Campbell River, still keep your eye on the sky. There is still a chance of snow for you tonight and even into tomorrow. But again, it would just be pockets here and there. But at least more sunshine within the mix both tomorrow and on Thursday. Back to you guys. And how does this weather affect the Easter Bunny's plans to hide the eggs? <laughs> it's harder when the oh, ground is tough. frozen, that's for sure. Right, and they get mixed up with <laughs> the hail. With this like, weather, the Easter Bunny mm. should put it underneath the tree. That's true. <laughs> well, that's a very good very point. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.